Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today is renowned South African author and performer, Dr. Kina Mshlope who has been writing and performing on stage and screen for over 30 years, specializing in storytelling. She has written numerous children's books, adult audience poetry, short stories and plays, and performed around the globe in English, Afrikaans, Zulu and Kosa. Welcome to the show, Doctor. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's an honor to be on this platform. Dr. Mishlope, you have built a successful career in the arts and you have been nominated and have won numerous awards, including an OBIE Award, Fringe First Award, Joseph Jefferson Award, Sonia Award, to name a very few. Please can you share with us a few of the landmarks in your career and, and when you understood that storytelling would be such a big part of your destiny? Thank you very much. I think um, one of the places that launched my career were from the writing perspective. I got um, to be seen as an existing person in Johannesburg as a short story writer and a poet, and my works were published in anthologies and magazines, and what people were asking, who's this person, who's this person? And I've got a very unusual name. My full name is Nokukpina. Nokukuna means the last daughter, the last girl, and I am the last one. And people didn't know that name, and people kept asking, who is she, who is she? And then I was also doing performance poetry, and that is what got me invited by the director, his name is Maisha Maponya, to invite me to be an actress in his play, Mongikazi. It was about um, true life experiences at Baraguanap Hospital. And so my career was launched best um, mostly as a writer, but also I got into performance through poetry and then theater. I would say one of the highlights for me was, um, first of all, I was nominated for the OBE Award, uh, which is uh, based in New York. I didn't think I could even stand a chance when I saw the heavyweight I was nominated uh, with in that category of best actress. So when I won the, 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 the award, I was so surprised and, and greatly honored. But also it was at a time when so much was going on in our country. And my role was the mother of Fanny Koduka, a child who was uh, traumatized. And it was a true life story. And so every night before I went on stage, I prayed and meditated and prepared myself to represent the true life story of a woman who didn't have an opportunity to stand on world stages the way I could. That was one of my highlights. I'm really, really honored to have won that award. And when I performed my autobiographical play, which is called Have You Seen Zandile, it is a very demanding play, both physically and emotionally. Um, first of all, there was a lot of criticism from people who were my friends and colleagues and comrades in the freedom um, struggle, and they said to me, a powerful woman like you doing something so trivial, like have you seen Zandile? And I said to them, you know what, if I can tell the story about other people, I can tell a story about myself, my life, and what has been happening in my life. I wish to share this particular uh, story 
because of where I am. It was, um, in fact, a few months after my mother passed away. So it was very cathartic. It was um, a, a story that needed to be told for me to go back in time, to go back emotionally in different ways, to look at what was it that made uh, so much emotional wrangling to take place. And Zandila was born. And that play, not only did it open the kind of doors that meant that people looked at me person to person, woman to woman, they shared their own stories after the performance. People, strangers would come to me at Edinburgh Festival um, in Washington, D.C., whether we're performing at, um, in Chicago, wherever, wherever we performed the play, total strangers would come to me and hold me tight and then tell me their stories. The number of stories I heard, if I had a lapel mic and, and, and recorded those, I would have a long CD of stories that were shared by people. And then it becomes clear then to me that uh, I will never change the answer when people say, why do you tell stories? I always answer with the same answer. I say I tell stories in order to wake up stories in other people because every living being has got a story to tell. That's why I tell stories. That is a, a wonderful statement. I tell stories to wake up stories in other people. Correct. And May is Africa Month, and storytelling is an important part of African tradition. And I think that through your work, it contributes to preserve storytelling as a means of, of keeping history and the arts alive. In 1991, you established the Zanandaba Institute of Storytelling in Africa, in 2001, yeah. you founded the Non-Zikwadi Literacy Campaign and started touring rural areas in South Africa to promote the importance of reading and distributing school library boxes. Can you please tell us more about these important initiatives? When I started uh, Zanendaba Storytellers, I was uh, at a place where I kind of jumped ship. I went into full-time storytelling and um, decided to take a break from theater. And um, I worked so hard the whole year, and at, at some point I just thought, I can't do this thing on my own, really. There must be other people who want to share with me this art of storytelling. And I started inviting people, and that's how Zanendaba Institute of Storytelling was formed. And we set up offices, and we started um, working with different storytellers, different age groups, one of the people I miss most nowadays, and I think about her, I see her face, I hear her voice singing, because she was a Sutu-speaking um, um, uh, lady, much older than myself, Mama Elizabeth Matebula. She could tell beautiful stories, and she could sing, and I, I miss her so much. She was one of the members of Zanendaba. And when we t told stories, we had an annual storytelling festival. People of different age groups came to those festivals. And also, we got invited to go and visit uh, libraries, to go and speak to different communities using this art of storytelling. And people would stand up and say, you know what, I also know a story. Can't I also share a story with you? And I was always happy to let the platform serve whoever is willing to share a story with us. We even had an evening where we did um, on a Friday night something we called a history telling or tell an old tale. And people would come and tell stories. There was a lady from Lithuania who would come and tell stories from her community. 
there was somebody who came from a, a certain region in Zambia, and she told her stories. People from different parts of the world. And then I remember meeting Charles Okumu. He was from Uganda. Oh, my goodness. Uh, it's your, his personality, his style of, of storytelling. When I first met him, I thought, oh, Lord, what's the story with this guy? And then when he got on stage, nothing moved. Nothing, nobody moved. His gentle voice, his art of painting pictures with words. We were leaning forward, everybody, young and old, we were taken by this man. So I've met different storytellers through Zanendaba storytellers. And then I think um, the, the birth of Nozengwadi, mother of book, came at a time when I visited my family in Hammersdale, which is about 40 minutes from the city of Durban. I went to visit my family, and my father had this thing of saying, let's go clean graves. There's a family graveyard at my home in Hammersdale. And um, when we cleaned graves, my father would tell me stories about each person who's lying in that grave. Or we would sing a song about that person. Or we'd share a joke that they liked to tell. And then we'd end up with this Nozenwati, mother of books. She was my great-grandmother, Mamitunu. She couldn't read, she couldn't write, but she collected anything with words on it. At some point, my father started calling me Nozenwati. And I thought, you know what? I can wake up the suitcase that was lost now. Because she put everything she gathered, she collected into a suitcase. And that suitcase went missing. This is long before I was even a dream, long before I was born. I decided I can wake up that suitcase. That's why we set up Nozenwati Literacy Campaign. The literacy campaign was specially to go and visit small communities, villages, townships, and set up libraries and make library boxes in communities where there's not even a library. And that's how Nozenwati was formed. And we got donations from publishers, from the most unexpected uh, communities and, 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 and supporters, sometimes in the business world also. And so Nozenwati has been running since 2001, 2016. It's been going. I never thought Nozenwati could run for that long. But there is a need and it had to be served. Those are fantastic initiatives. And also with the stories that you've just attached to them and bringing them to life and important things for them to keep going. So if people want to support those campaigns, what can they do to help you? With Nozenwati literacy campaign, we have always um, a need for, for buying books to take them to, to the schools where we visit. One of the schools that we are trying to get a library um, set up now is called Kamieza. Uh, it's, it's a primary school and the children love to read. And in different spaces, some of the, the schools, they've got an hour of reading per day. And they come and perform at our annual storytelling festival. I would say specifically for Nozenwati, the mother of books, we'd be so happy to have donations of books and also financial donations as well. Sometimes we ask the corporate world to assist. So that is what we really need. Now all of these things are operating under one umbrella, which is the Namasigo Arts and Heritage Trust. This is uh, now I'm the executive director of the Namasigo Art and Heritage Trust, and we are based in Durban. And so Nozenwadi and all our other initiatives are, are under this umbrella. So people can just go online, connect to your website, and get the yes, details there yes. specifically. We've just recorded a DVD now um, that we're going to put online on our website on the, of the, the Namasigo Art and Heritage Trust where we are um, requesting support 
because we are trying to set up an oral history museum, a memory house. And so that's what we're gravitating towards now. And I wanted to ask you, as you were talking, when you've gone on these various festivals and storytelling, are those festivals recorded? Quite a few of them have been recorded. We've got nice DVDs. And also one of them, we've got loads of photographs as well. We've got to find a a setting where we can um, showcase these, uh, these DVDs. Um, I think when the memory house is open, there will be a space to showcase some of these. Because often now, the students, they perform also in this festival. It's not only the, the professional uh, storytellers or musicians or dancers. Because we, we do the whole spectrum of, of, the, of the creative arts. I look forward to the establishment and hearing more once the Memory House has been established to accommodate all of these wonderful stories and this rich oral tradition. Literacy is clearly a very, very important part of our world and something that you hold close to your heart. When I was doing the research for the show, I came across one of your statements with particular reference to people living in rural areas, and I'd like to quote it, where you said... In today's world, literacy and reading are keys that open the doors to the global village. We say this is the age of computers. But sophisticated computers and all sorts of modern forms of media are useless to a country that does not invest in the literacy of its people. For me, education is the key to empowerment and opportunity. And you received your honorary doctorate for literature by the London Open University in England. And your initiatives as we've just spoken now, clearly support this statement. So in your opinion, what else needs to be done to drive education, particularly for women living in rural areas? I think um, we need to dedicate more, not only sponsorship, but more skilled people who can work in communities where people can be informed of some... You know, one of the things um, that, that I keep hearing about is that hearing aids for older people are free of charge, and people don't know that. So that information is available, but people don't get to hear it. And then uh, talk about um, certain um, uh, optometrists and, and, and people like uh, spec savers and what. They test eyes for free for children under the age of 12. Who knows that? How is that information going to be made accessible? So I think we need to put that in spaces where parents, um, people in the, in the uh, farming industry and what, to be, to, be, to be able to access that information. To say there's information available and we talk about it in terms of people can go to Facebooks and WWVs and them. Those people don't have a computer. They've got a limited data on their cell phones, and so little reaches them. So we must invest in the schools so that it's not only for children to learn, but it's also for parents and communities to access information in educational institutions in the most rural of communities. And that takes dedication from a government, from people with positions of power in different spaces, and business people too. So it's about the community in the broader sense coming together, not just the people that are living in those areas, but looking at our institutional support coming through from the public sector as well as the private sector. And as as you say, if we've got elements like free hearing aids to the elderly, if we've got opportunities where eyesight can be tested for free, but if people don't know about those benefits, they're never going to be able to reach out for them. 
Exactly, exactly. So for me, it's extremely important. And then you find that uh, in in spaces where there, there should be um, uh, there should be signs saying this is can be found here, this can be found there. If you don't have those signs leading to the spaces where people, even if you're walking past there or driving past on a daily basis, it doesn't capture you, it doesn't grab your attention until you need it. And then you go, you get lost and you go round and round. That is important. And then another thing I have problems with is the amount of time wasted waiting for public transport. You go to the clinic, you sit there polishing benches, you go to the traffic department, you sit there polishing benches. You, it doesn't matter where you go, wherever people have to go to, to get assistance in public spaces, there's waiting, waiting, waiting. Now, I don't like waiting. But can you provide some information then? Can you provide some information while people are waiting for those hours? That's my thinking. I think my brain thinks education day and night. What can I say? <laughs> oh, I'm happy to hear it because it's certainly an area that we advocate on this show. And you just cannot have the empowerment, the self-fulfillment if we don't drive education. Yeah. Today we're talking to renowned South African author and performer, Dr. Kina Mshlope. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. In the previous segment, we spoke about Dr. Mshlope's career, and she has given a couple of anecdotes, so one which I'd like to repeat for her reasoning for telling stories, where she says, I tell stories in order to wake up stories in other people. We also spoke about the need of driving through on education, particularly in terms of reaching out to people in rural communities and helping them get a step upwards to empower themselves and looking at all of the available opportunities and platforms in order to do that. Dr. Schlope, this program is all about gender equality, which is increasingly a global focus. And as such, taking into consideration the various challenges and successes that women's legal rights have achieved in the last few years, what areas do you think we still need attention with respect to women? I think um, one of the two things that I, I, I seem to, to see a gap or a, a need to be improved is public transport. Another element is health. The really, really women struggle to, to access health. And um, also when, when, when women can't be in a, in a position to, to, to take care of themselves, how can they take care of their families? Women today is, um, is, is um, celebrated as a Women's Day, is Mother's Day, and then uh, Africa Month. Women are the backbone of the African continent. I hear that lovely story of the of the Adam's rib and whatever. Uh-uh, we're talking backbone of the continent. So if we were to to take women as seriously as we should, uh, as, as as women who are taking care of so much, not only in their families, but in their extended family and the community and the country at large, we need to take care of their health. When they are healthy, they are in a better position to play their role. And public transport. The amount of time wasted standing, waiting for public transport, and then the money wasted traveling far and then coming back, and it is so sad that we don't invest as much as we should on public transport. I think both men and women will benefit when public transport is, is there, but it also involves something critical on women. 
it is safety, security. The amount of pain women have to suffer because of the lack of public transport. And if you knock off late from work, you are standing a greater chance of being abused or raped or killed. And that is something that should matter to any government or country or continent. I couldn't agree with you more. We have to have a more robust transport system. There has to be safety components in place. And also in terms of the way that routes are structured, because for people to go oh, from oh. point A to B, they often have to go through to C, D, and E. And access to health, I'd say, is also linked in terms of the public transport system because you need to get to those places. Those places don't come to you. No, they don't come to you. And also, the amount of time you have to wait at a bus stop or a taxi rank when you are really sick and you want to get to the hospital, or you, you maybe you need to be admitted, and you phone an ambulance. Two hours later, the ambulance has not arrived. And so people often just decide, you know what, let's get on a taxi and go to the hospital. And so that is a major problem. So I think public transport also affects women's health. It certainly does. Whilst we're on the topic in terms of looking at improving infrastructure and accessibility to, I'd say, key resources, what is your perspective of female leadership, whether it's in the government sector, academic sector, business world, entertainment, or any other field for that matter? I think um, there are amazing women in this continent. They are doing wonderful work, but um, it's so hard to come by that information. Sometimes when I meet or hear about women who have done that, who have done, I am shocked and I'm, I'm, I'm hungry for this knowledge. <laughs> I'm, I'm really hungry for this knowledge, but uh, it's hard to come by. So communication and, and, and sharing that information is a major issue and it's upon ourselves. I put that on, on the shoulders of, of, of women to take care of, of sharing that information. For me, when I hear about a woman who's doing wonderful this, wonderful that, I talk about it. You tell me, consider it published. We need to, 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 to spread the word about who's doing what and encourage and assist one another. One of the things that we started to do five years ago is something we call the Spirit of Light. It's a one-off event where we gather people together and we invite people who do positive things in society. Because if I turn on the news, it's going to be bad news. We know that for a fact. And so I decide I don't want to watch the bad news. So we hold these ceremonies where we light many candles and then we call out the names of women who have done so much over the ages, through the decades and centuries. And people ask, what's that name? Who was that? Zoranil Heston. What? Maria Mapa. Who was Maria Mapa? They don't know about Maria Mapa. And so all of these people, uh, oh, Mama uh, from Kenya who won the Nobel Prize, Wangari Matai, Mama Wangari Matai, all of these people, we don't talk about them. We need to talk about them more often. In, in, in my country, uh, we had my role model. Hello, I talk about her all the time. Mama Nogukanya, Lituli. There are so many other women who have done wonderful work in different fields, in different professions, and we need to spread the word. The word. I will not put that at anybody else's doorstep but our own, so that our daughters know that when you 
see something positive happening, speak about it. So I, I put it upon ourselves in that way. But also, there's not enough leadership, especially in political spaces, because we are at a, at a place now that uh, it's like a... I don't know whether to, to talk about an earthquake and a volcano um, or typhoons all at the same time in, in, in the political world. Yeah, <laughs> it's all over the world. So I think if ever women leaders were needed, they are needed more today than ever. And listening to what you're saying, it's about rising up and leveraging strong, healthy values uh, to perpetuate and put that out into society. Correct, correct. We, we need to do that. And when we um, are able to, 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 to share knowledge also, one of the things that, that, that I like about the people who come to, to certain events and talk about their experiences and how they got to where they are, people are amazed. They think, honestly, this, this person, she's an ordinary woman just like me. This person, this man is just like me. And, and so it, it, it encourages you to think, you know, I can do something. Very often people behave as if you need to become a millionaire in order to do something to make a difference in society. If you want to wait to be a millionaire, I don't know how many years you're going to wait to, maybe all your life. You need to make a difference. I assume I am blessed with all the blessings I have received in order to make a difference in my country and my continent. That's how I understand it. And I've heard an expression where it starts with your small corner of the world. And if you can make a difference in that corner, you can help someone else make a difference in their corner. And you have this sort of acceleration of goodwill being passed from one person to the next. That's correct. That's correct. And one of my favorite um, sayings or some, uh, well, let's talk about the Ndebele one first. When the um, elders, they always say you must throw yourself into your work, bones and all. No matter how difficult things are, throw yourself into it, bones and all. I like that. And then there's another one in Isizulu. It says even when the cock doesn't crow, dawn will still break. That one is about hope. I believe in that honestly, honestly, because when things are really, really difficult, we are called upon to roll up our sleeves and do something because dawn will break. These last two elements that you've spoken about, it dovetails into what I'm going to ask next. We spoke about dawn will rise. It's another day. One of the questions that I ask my guests on the show who've made tremendous achievements in their respective fields of expertise is about the factors that have contributed to their success. Because the reality is, this is who you are today, but it has taken a lifetime to get here. So some people speak about hard work, others talk about perseverance. In your opinion, what have been some of the key drivers to your success? I would think uh, what, what, what really keeps me going is this element of gratitude. I don't take it for granted that I've gone through some of the most difficult situations that I've pulled through. And I have been blessed and I've come into contact with people who have been prepared to work with me, to assist me, when they didn't have to, at the most unexpected time. So I always uh, get asked, how come you're so happy? How come you're always so energetic? Do you ever get angry? Yes, I do get angry. Sometimes I do get really, really sad about something, but 
the thing that keeps me going is vitamin G, vitamin gratitude. I live on that. I need to be grateful to be alive. The fact that I wake up in the morning and nothing is painful. I can actually wake up. I can go in and look for food in the kitchen and there is food in the kitchen. That my family is here. It is My family is well. My beautiful daughter, my family, all of that matters to me. And so I live on vitamin gratitude. All the opportunities I've been blessed with, I understand. And it's not because I, I had to be given those opportunities. I work hard, yes, but sometimes opportunity meets with that wonderful, wonderful desire to do something. And when the, you can prepare all the firewood at the fireplace, if you don't bring the match to light that fire, the firewood won't do a thing. So the need met by opportunity, I'm very conscious of that, and I'm grateful. I live on vitamin gratitude. And then respect. Let's talk about respect. It's not a, a word that is used often in, in modern society. You respect yourself, and you respect those you come into contact with. Those were my father's words when I left home to live in the city of Johannesburg. He said, you respect yourself, you respect those people you come into contact with, and you'll be all right in the world. And he didn't even know that I was going to travel the whole world. And he was right. Respect opens doors where you don't even know there is a door. That's a fact. Those sound like fantastic ingredients. Vitamin gratitude, respect, opportunity, meeting with desire, because as you say, if you don't have the match, it doesn't matter how much firewood you have. Yes. Can you share with us some of the pivotal moments in your life growing up, uh, things that influenced you or people that influenced you? One of the most uh, well-known people that I've um, talked about is my grandmother. My grandmother played a very, very important role. I think um, she treated me like her personal garden. And she put fertilizer and gave me so much love and so much watering and uh, gave me the, the joy of celebrating and loving languages and stories. And then there was my father. My father didn't speak too much, but uh, he was always, always, always consistently a loving father. When people say, um, men are terrible, men are this and men are that, or we want to do a big event and we're only celebrating women, say, no, stop, 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 stop. I was brought up by a man who loved and respected women. I'm married to a man who loves and respects women. I have got brothers, colleagues, friends who love and respect women, in spite of all the horrible stuff that's going on in the world. So let's honor those men. So there's my father. My father always said, you will never earn a cow through sleeping. Hard work, hard work, hard work. And then you had my mother. My mother, oh, her life wasn't easy. Honestly, her life wasn't easy. My mother, I was born out of wedlock. Um, my mother had a really, really difficult time. But, you know, I don't remember my mother saying horrible things about other people. She was such a hard worker, pushing and pushing. And, um, but I, I remember how difficult life was for her, but she always was positive. And so I try to look back now and remember things that I saw, not what she said, but what she did. I remember that. And then you have got um, the opportunity of uh, meeting Umaisha Mabonya, 
who gave me my first break into theatre. And then I worked with Barney Simon, who I will say was my mentor in the theatre world. I did several plays with him. I worked with him uh, even at Brandeis University. I was his assistant director. I, I thank him from the bottom of my heart for his openness, for his generosity, for his spirit of sharing. And then there were other people as well I came into contact with, Reverend Figeni from the high school I went to. And then there was also a lovely, lovely chance to work with, uh, with Glenn Cowley, who was my publisher at the University of KwaZulu-Natal. I'm so glad that he had the kind of spirit that he had. We, we miss him up to this day. He has passed on now. I've worked with the most amazing people in different parts of the world. Oh, I can count and count between so many international um, influences. Professor Kusunose from the University of Kyoto Saika in Japan. Wow, what a brilliant, brilliant um, feminist, a woman who loved women's literature from the African continent. She celebrates women's literature all the time. And that is one of the reasons why I was invited to be a visiting lecturer at the University of Kyoto Saika, because of her. Professor Ethan Avivan, University of Milan, I've worked with them. Wow. How can I count? There are so many people I've worked with, and I'm, I'm really, really blessed. I know this. I'm very lucky. It sounds like an incredible global network that is also grounded in the roots of home in South Africa that has just blossomed across the world. We've spoken about your journey thus far. What's next yes. for you? I know that you've got a performance coming up late in the year at the Market Theatre in Johannesburg. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. Thank you. Um, first of all, my daughter is turning 21 this year, and I'm crazy. That means a morning star. Congratulations. I am, yes. And one of the things that I decided, I don't want to be traveling anywhere this year. My passport is resting in the drawer. It's a wonderful feeling. Uh, I'm so glad to be home a lot and to spend time and to share with what she's going through and her work at university and all of these things to encourage and be that central pillar in in her life as well. And then I ironically am doing a play that is called My Traveling Bag. It is um, a play that chronicles my 33 years of international traveling. I share it, I call it sharing it one bowl at a time because there's a lot of memories to share in a play that is one and a half, one hour, ten minutes on stage. But it is a multimedia play. It's got um, visuals on, 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 on television screen. It's got music from different parts of the world that have uh, influenced me. It's poetry, it's story, theater. And also the, it's going to be at the Barney Simon Theater, at the Market Theater. I haven't performed at the Market Theater for 25 years. It's a major return to the place where I cut my teeth. So then, it's, a, it's a homecoming in some ways. It, it certainly is a homecoming. And next door there is an, a gallery and there will be lots. There will be an exhibition of many mementos and many memorabilia that I, I collected over the years in all my travels and photographs and what. And so I'm looking forward to putting this play together. And the, the beautiful thing is that I have um, found a young director, Clive Matibe, 
he is a stunning young man. It's beautiful to have a young person looking at my work with the fresh eyes of a, of, of a person of his age and experience. I will be doing the show, I think the previews start on the 8th of September. How wonderful. International Literacy Day. And so it's running all the way to the 24th of September. Heritage Day again. So these are important dates in my life, in my career, because heritage is a big deal to me as well. And indeed in the entire South African calendar. So let's look at that and and leverage those perfect insights. Thank you. It's it's very important indeed. The, The International Literacy Day, we do events all the time during that day. You know, I, I don't understand why art, um, arts and culture and education are not, um, you know, Siamese twins in government because they should go together all the time. That all the resources that are directed to education and to arts should come together. They, 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 there are so many synergies. So I love Literacy Day, things that are related to, to education. And then National Heritage Day is the 24th of September. And it is a big day in our country where we look at our heritage again and again through different eyes and we celebrate it in different ways. And people in the arts play a pivotal role in this. So I'm really glad that uh, my show is called The Travelling Bag. It will be at the Market Theatre during those days. Dr. Mshlopper, we wish you all the best for The Travelling Bag and we look forward to possibly having you on our show again as the as the traveling bag airs and, and runs. But we are unfortunately running out of time now. So can I please ask you, in closing the conversation today, to share a few words of inspiration which you would like to pass on to women in Africa that are listening to us? I would um, maybe share the words of a song that speaks to me very, very strongly over the years. It is a song from the Methodist Church. It says, Ngawi ngobu kwa labami, nangobu zikai sagwami. Ngawi ngobu kwa labami, nangobu zikai sagwami. Ngawi ngobu kwa labami, nangobu zikai May I not fail because I was too much of a coward. May I not fail because I was too pompous. Let's work hard. Let's reach the greatest heights. Let's achieve. Let's strive. But let's not fail because we were too cowardly. Let us not fail because we were too pompous. Humility is so important. That's a a fabulous note to end and to inspire. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Mshlope. Oh, thank you very much. It's an honor to be on this platform. And I wish to greet all the daughters, the sisters, the mothers, the aunts, grandmothers throughout the African continent. You have been listening to Humanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective, and we have been talking to renowned South African author and performer, Dr. Kina Mshlopeh.